joined now on one-on-one by the president of the Bellator, Scott Coker. Scott, we really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Just start off. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm here in LA. It's uh, fight week. A lot of, a lot of uh, killer athletes just arriving into town, getting all their media stuff done and getting ready for the uh, weight cut, the weigh-ins, and then the big fight on Saturday night. Yeah, so we'll start with that because some are calling it actually the biggest event in the Bellator history. Um, so Bellator 263, headlined by Patricio Pitbull mm-hmm. and Anthony McKee. So just to start off, can you maybe go into how this fight came to be and what is on the line for these two fighters here Saturday? Well, I can tell you, I'll start with what's on the line because it's uh, it's a lot of money. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, these guys all have contracts and, you know, we take really good care of them. They make a good living. And this fight, because it's the finals of our 16-man tournament, um, they get a million-dollar bonus check. So whoever wins this, this fight gets the million dollars that night and uh, gets, the, gets the bragging rights. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a good night. And it's not like the million dollars are split up. It's, it goes to one, one person. The, winner, the loser really just gets what they normally get for the fight, and, and that's it. And how we got here is when we looked at our division about 18 months ago, uh, we, we identified this featherweight division as probably one of our biggest talent uh, pools of athletes. And uh, we had enough to do a 16-man tournament. And, and initially, they all had a drawing. They, they drew who they wanted to fight. And kind of like how they ended up in brackets is they, uh, they all drew like little, like little numbers and that sort of thing. And then Pitbull was the champion. So he kind of you know, got to uh, move people around, had a little trickery. On it, but but I, I was sitting there at the drawing, and honestly, I was going, I sure hope AJ versus Pitbull is our finals, right? Because that's the fight that everybody wanted to see. They wanted to see the young the young gun, that's a rising star, or and against the guy that's the current champ that's been around. I mean, a, Pitbull has been the champion since AJ got here in 2014, so that's how long Pitbull's been the reigning you know guy. So. Um, it took about four to five years for AJ to get to this point. Now he's ready. Now, you know, he's ready for the biggest fight of his career. Uh, but they all got here based on a 16-man tournament, uh, which is going to be the finals on Showtime this Saturday night. And it's a million-dollar prize money. So it's, there's a lot riding on the line. You kind of took the words out of my mouth with the, what you were saying about McKee and Pitbull because I was watching an interview where you talked about McKee, somebody that you watched fight before he was on a contract. And you said, when he grows professional, I want to sign that guy. And you talk about how he compares to – Pitbull, who was dominating in Bellator even before you came there. And I'm just curious, when you look at these two and now they're going off in this massive final, how does that kind of speak to the depth of the promotion, the athletes that you've kind of recruited into, into it over the years? Yeah, when I came here, honestly, uh, I remember sitting down with Bob Cook, who was uh, like an advisor for me in Strikeforce. And, uh, you know, Bob is a guy that has been really a good star identifier and uh, talent identifier, let's say. And he said to me, Sign, sign this kid over here, and that turned out to be Daniel Cormier. You know, sign this person over here. That was T. Wood. Go sign this girl in L.A. That turned out to be Ronda Rousey. I mean, he's probably like you know ten and all with no losses because uh, he his 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 he's got an eye for talent like nobody's business. And when I came to Bellator, I said, okay, Bob, what do you think about our roster? And he looked at it. He said, well, you have a lot of work to do. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> And so, you know, we had, listen, we had Michael Chandler, amazing talent. We had Eddie Alvarez toward the end of his contract. Um, and we had uh, Pitbull and we had Pitbull's brother. Like there were some few stars that really shined through. But as far as having an overall roster of, you know, athletes that, you know, you could build divisions, you know, complete divisions on, 
uh, I would say it was very thin and, and it was identified early. And, it w- and I just basically went back to the strike force model was, okay, let's start buying some free agents, right? Checkbook's got to open. We got to start buying some free agents from the UFC. We signed, I think it was Phil Davis, then Ryan Bader, then Gegard Mousasi. Uh, we signed Fedor Melianenko. We signed, you know, different, just different, you know, top talent that we thought we could, you know, basically throw these main events. And then we started building from the ground up, which I think we're very good at. And we said, okay, let's go sign AJ McKee. Let's go sign Aaron Pico. Let's go sign Tyron Fortune. Let's go sign uh, Romero Cotton. And so we started going after like the next generation of fighters. And, uh, and I, I really feel that that's important because you can buy free agents from the top down, but you're not going to build a real company unless you can build from the ground up. And that's, that's where, it, and then AJ is a, uh, is a, you know, is like the, the model that when a, when a fighter can come in and he does what he's supposed to do and he has a proper talent to get to that point. Now this is the fight that is going to be, you know, a fighter that's come from within and built within the roster compared to, you know, Pitbull who's been here before I was even here and had some of the greatest moments, I think, in Bellator history. Uh, and uh, this is this is why this fight's so important. Right. And I, I really like what you said about building up from the ground up because I think that's important for any company. I feel like you don't want to kind of jumpstart things, speed up the timeline or anything. So I appreciate that. And just wondering, now looking at the future of the Bellator, you know, past this fight, Last, you know, the rest of 2021 and the future and beyond, what can we expect more events in the future? What is in the cards for the Bellator? Well, um, as you guys know, I think we announced the fight with uh, Douglas Lima fighting MVP, too. That'll be in London on October 1st. It'll be live on Showtime. Um, and uh, we'll also have a rebroadcast that night in prime time. So I'm really excited about that fight because that's the fight that MVP really wants to avenge. And he told me, he said, I want, I want that fight and you got to give it to me because if I can't fight uh, Amosov right now, because Amosov has uh, his wife is pregnant. She's having, they're having a kid. And so, you know, we're giving him a little time off. Uh, MVP didn't want, not want to wait around. He said, I want to fight. I want to fight. So I said, okay, well, let's fight Douglas Lima and Douglas said, let's get it on. And so that's going to be a big fight. Fedor Melianenko, we're doing our first fight in Moscow. Uh, but as you guys probably know, we have a very, very uh, robust Russian roster, lot, lots of talent. And uh, we're going to go to Moscow for the first time. Fedor has two fights left with us. This will be one of them. And then we'll do another fight next year with Fedor. Uh, and then I think that's going to be his retirement fight. But uh, we have a ton of talent uh, that's from that CIS area and from the Russian territory. Uh, including a fighter like Usman Nurmagomedov, who is fighting this Saturday uh, on our card. Uh, but if he's healthy and he's not hurt or ready to go, we will fight him October 23rd in Moscow. And then we have, uh, you know, before the end of the year, we have Gegard Mousasi fighting Salter coming up uh, August 13th. We have Karatana versus Congo uh, August 20th. And then uh, you'll probably see two fights per month. Uh, with Bellator on Showtime uh, until the, until the end of the year. So we've mentioned a lot about the the depth of talent. We've mentioned some of the upcoming events, and just to hone in on Saturday one more time before we get a little more about you is just what would you encourage people who are watching this fight to look for beyond the main event and some of the other fights that you think are kind of catching your eye? I'll tell you um, when when I think about this fight, it's it's they're so evenly matched, and what I mean by that is AJ's got a complete game. He can wrestle with you. He can. He could do the jujitsu, I mean, jujitsu with you, mm-hmm. and he could strike with you. He's got it all. And I feel like Pitbull is the same way. And Pitbull's got a ton of power, as you guys know. 
the fight that really sticks out in my, my mind with Pitbull is the fight he fought Daniel Weichel in St. Louis, I want to say 2018. And he, I thought Pitbull was getting knocked out that night. And then, you know, he's up on the ropes. The fight I thought was getting called. And then he hits Weichel with, a, I think, a, a left hook and a right hand and knocks him out. I mean, he knocks him out cold. So this guy is never going to be out of the fight. And they're going to, uh, that's, that's, that's what I'm excited about is that this fight is not, there's, you know, don't blink and, you know, don't, don't go to the restroom and take a, a restroom break because you're going to want to see this entire fight. Yeah. And getting more into you now, uh, I'm just curious, picking your brain a little bit here, because running a league, obviously there's so much that goes into it and you founded a league in strike force. And I feel like it was a time when maybe MMA wasn't as prominent in the U S as it is now. It certainly wasn't a top tier sport. And so what was that process like getting a league off from the ground running, familiarizing it and with a culture that really wasn't too, you know, fight centric as the U S was. Yeah. You know, it's a good point because um, when, when I first started promoting, I remember reporters coming to me. I mean, mainstream, like, you know, in the Bay Area, like Channel 5 or Channel 11 or the San Francisco Chronicle. And they're, and they're, the questions were like this. Well, do you think that, you know, someone's going to die tonight? Is this like human cockfighting? You know, are you guys you know, taking advantage of these people? Like, why would you throw like these, like these, you know, these chicken fights, you know, with people? They just had no idea about what MMA was. And in fairness, at that time, really... I think UFC had was on Spike TV and we didn't even have a TV deal when I first started. That Shamrock Gracie fight did not have, have a TV deal attached to it at all. And Kung Lee's first fight in MMA did not have. We were basically, if you wanted to see that fight, you had to come to the arena. And we had 18,000, no, 17,800 something people. I mean, it was an amazing night. And uh, that was the very first fight in the history of California to have a licensed sanctioning MMA fight. But it wasn't like it was on TV like it is today. And that's the difference is that now people are educated more about what mixed martial arts is. And, you know, my explanation back then was to the media was like, guys, you know, you have a misconception about this because this is martial arts. This is this is a martial arts contest. And, you know, it's in a cage. So the optics, I understand, is confusing for you because you're used to seeing things in a ring like boxing, wrestling, everything combated was usually in a ring. But uh, I said, look, in the Olympics, they allow judo, jujitsu, they allow taekwondo, they allow boxing, they allow wrestling. Basically, 95% of the techniques that you're going to see tonight are already in the Olympics. You know, and they're like, oh, you know, that makes sense to me. You know, the only thing that they, they had a hard time with was the ground and pound. They just, you know, they had never seen anything like it. But that was a time where it was a transitional moment where, uh, it was just now coming on TV. And then when uh, we got our, we, we bought Pro Elite and we got the Showtime and CBS contract back then. And even then, it still was kind of like, you know, a little bit taboo. And, and now it's grown so much. And I, I'm so happy to see the success of MMA because really, to me, it's not just a media content or a fighting content. This is to me is the evolution of martial arts, right? You think about martial arts today, competing and fighting and this is what it is because this is proven to be the most effective style was a, was a, was a melting of different styles to make one your own style. And so to me, that's what this is about. And so to me, that's why uh, I'm happy to see that, you know, people understand that it's, it's not just fighting is that there's a little bit, there's more to it than that. And this is the future. This is not going backwards. You're not going to have, you know, karate guys fight, take one guys and, 
kung fu guys fight judo guys. I mean, those days are just not going to happen. You know, it's, it used to happen at one time. But, you know, this has proven that it's the most effective fighting art in the world. And, you know, it's the future of MMA, of martial arts, I mean. You mentioned that martial arts kind of being a blending of styles in a lot of ways. And somebody who kind of embodied that was Bruce Lee, who you mentioned was an inspiration of yours. And I'm just curious if you could speak a little bit more about kind of his approach to the sport and how that's kind of represented in what you do at Bellator today. Boy, I, I tell you, uh, when I think about Bruce Lee, it's like, it's, I mean, I could talk to you for hours about, <laughs> you know, his philosophy and history. I grew up as a fan. Like uh, I, did, I was already in martial arts. He had passed away already by the time I even learned about who he was. And I was already in the martial arts school and, you know, doing my own thing. And he was, you know, in Hong Kong, but it was what fascinated me over the years was, and you guys are way too young for, for, to, to, to understand the culture at this time really was if you were a Kung Fu guy and I was a Taekwondo guy, you and I didn't talk, you and I didn't train together. You and I, basically it was like the Kung Fu school, the karate school, the Taekwondo school, the judo school, everybody was separate and no one, no one cross-trained. It wasn't, it was taboo. And basically my style was the best style. And what Bruce proved was that, no, no, your style is not the best style. It's an eclectic blend of different martial arts that work for you that made his system, right? So he created his own system and he felt everybody should have their own system, even though it was called JKD. But to me, that, that really got to me because I'm like, he is in a time where you know, that was just taboo. You can't go to a Kung Fu instructor and say, you know, your tech style doesn't work. It's going to be, you're going to get your ass kicked in a, in a self-defense situation. You know, could you imagine that conversation with some Kung Fu master? It's just, it's just, it just didn't happen. And so I, I felt like the opening scene of another dragon, when I look back at it now, you know, he had his MMA shorts, he had his open figure MMA gloves, right. And he grappled, he uh, did some judo he did some uh, submissions and then he did striking. So to me, that was 1973. This film was made in a time where it was style versus style. He, he, he showed that a, a blend of styles is going to be the most effective. And over the last 50 years since that movie was made, that's exactly what happened. And so to me, it just, it just, it just amazes me. And I still read a lot of his philosophy and his, and his, his books. And it's just, it's really fascinating. And it's almost like he was 50, you know, uh, Danny Asanos actually told me, he goes, I feel like he was probably a hundred years ahead of his time. And uh, it's, it's quite, it's quite a statement and, and it's proven to be true. Yeah, I'm curious if your fighting background with obviously, you know, your knowledge and we'll get into more in a second, how your love for MMA growing up. But do you think it plays a, like a role and helps you run the league better? It gives you a better understanding of what these fighters going through just give you more insight. Yeah, I, I believe that's been one of the reasons why we've been able to attract free agents. And, you know, my relationship with all these fighters or even these coaches like you know, Javier Mendez, who uh, owns AKA, they had, you know, Kane Velasquez, Daniel Cormier, you know, Luke Rockhold, Kung Lee was training there, Fitch, Koscheck. I mean, they had a huge run. Um, you know, he used to be my martial arts student back in the day. And now he's like, you know, the, the, the main owner of one of the greatest gyms in the history of mixed martial arts, right? And he used to fight for me. He was a kickboxer uh, for many years and a world champion kickboxer, very good kickboxer. Uh, but 
you know, you're talking about the Duke Rufus's of the world, the Mike Wingo Johns of the world at, at uh, in Albuquerque. It's like these guys, I've known these guys for 30 years, you know, 35 years. So, you know, we have, uh, you know, the, the relationships I've developed through just teaching, competing, also, you know, being basically uh, a promoter at an early age uh, really uh, has has gotten to the point where a lot of the guys that I was promoting are, are now trainers and, you know, the, the door is always open and the relationships have been very good. And, and I think that, you know, one of the one of the strengths about our company is we really try to treat our fighters uh, in, a, in a very, you know, in a very good martial arts way. And and I think I, I really learned that through training and and working with these guys and kind of knowing their, you know, kind of how they're feeling or how they're thinking, you know, when they're when they're uh, getting ready for a fight. And and uh, when I was working for K1, it was a Japanese kickboxing company for a while. The owner said to me, just keep in mind, it's the fighter that's stepping on the mat. He is the star of the show and he is the Bushido. He is the warrior. So we must always to give them strength to, you know, try to push them up. So, you know, I, I have a certain philosophy of, of how we run this company uh, with our athletes. And, and uh, I think it's, it's been working. You, you mentioned kickboxing a couple of times. And the last thing I wanted to ask was about kickboxing because one of the biggest things that you did for Bellator when you first came and the return to San Jose, where you, you kind of grew up was, was in showing that kickboxing and MMA could share the same stage. How important was that for you when you made the return to San Jose in that event? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was special because my very first show at that arena in 1994 was a kickboxing show. And it was Javier Mendez uh, from AKA fighting as a main event in that fight. And uh, keep in mind, this is one year after the UFC won with Royce Gracie. Right. So it was very new. Kickboxing was still, you know, I wouldn't say super popular, but it was on ESPN and and it, it still did very well for ratings and. And uh, that was the very first show. To, so to bring kickboxing back with MMA, and if you remember, it was with, uh, I believe it was with Glory, uh, with the Glory kickboxing night over there uh, with us in San Jose. So it was, Glory was on Spike TV, and uh, we had Bellator on Spike TV. So we did a uh, big event called Dynamite, and that's that's what you watch. And I, listen, I still love kickboxing. I, I, I think it's fun to watch. I think it's, it's brutal. It's, it's a tough sport. Um, uh, but um, I think it's still a little bit more popular, say, in Europe in some countries than even MMA is, right? Like, when we first went to Israel, uh, I mean, Italy, there was never been an MMA show in Italy before we got there. That was a, a major big show like this, right? So in Israel, same thing. In Hungary, same thing. We've been going to countries and, and spreading the, let's say, the uh, MMA gospel, uh, but to be honest, kickboxing was more popular in those regions than MMA. And over time, you know, we've grown some MMA stars in different territories that never had them before. And, uh, I think that now <clears throat> the territories that we've gone to that, uh, we were the first to come, uh, now have started to gravitate more towards MMA. And so, uh, we're definitely doing our part to help grow the sport worldwide. And, and, uh, you know, I think kickboxing is always going to be here. You're never going to get kickboxing out of Thailand. Believe me, Thailand is like it's in their culture, it's in their blood, and uh, it's it, you know to me, why can't you do both? Why can't you have fun watching both dis disciplines? It's uh, it's they're both fun to watch. Yeah, um, and so I saw somewhere that you said you had three choices of a sport growing up: soccer, 
baseball and MMA. And I'm just wondering here as a last question, why MMA? Why was it the sport that you fell in love with? Why? You know, I'll tell you, it wasn't even MMA at that time. It was, I was living in Korea. My mom is Korean. My father is uh, American. You know, he grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. And, uh, and, and he went to, uh, the, he went to the military. He lived in Asia for two years as a soldier. And then he stayed 16 years in the import export business. So he chose to stay there and miss my mom. And there's, we have three, uh, I have two siblings. So three boys, um, and we're going to, uh, elementary school, right? So we're going to elementary school now. And, and, um, and the choices were basically like, okay, you have to do PE. So as your PE class, which, which one do you want to do? Just like in the U.S., right? What do you want to do? You want to go play this? You want to do that? But it was Taekwondo because it was a Korean system, right? And I was living in Korea at the time. Uh, it was basically, do you want to do Taekwondo, right? Soccer or baseball? And I didn't know much about Taekwondo. I didn't. And I just thought, oh, let me try that. And that, that really has been something that really has been a game changer for me because from that moment on, man, I, I just fell in love with it. I just fell in love with martial arts and I just, you know, it's been a lifelong journey and feel really fortunate to, to, you know, have been in this industry and, you know, been, 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 been around a long time and, and continue to, to, to have the passion and, 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 and the, you know, excitement uh, to go to work every day. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome to hear. You always love to hear people that have such a passion and to see you put it on full display in front of everyone. It's really admirable. Uh, so Scott Coker, you know, president of the Bellator, we really do appreciate you spending the time with us today. Stick around, everyone, for more one-on-one on 90.7 FM.